You're a fucking liberal piece of shit. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. to the show, everybody. Episode 662 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by that co-host of mine, Brittany Page, who happens to be a lovely, scholarly, and quite talented laid. Wow. Look at that confidence boost. <laughs> That's very nice to start the show. It's what I do, Brittany Page. I don't know if you know, but I'm well known globally oh. as a confidence man. Oh, wait, no. Oh, a confidence booster. Okay. <laughs> the other one is a con artist. Yeah. I'm. Uh, wait a minute here. <laughs> Not what I was thinking of. Are you surviving the COVID-19 pandemic? This is our first 100% shut-in weekend. Yes. And yeah, you know, um, I think, let me think of how I want to say this. Uh-oh. There is somewhat of a silver lining involved in all, in, in many, many people being quarantined at the same time, being sheltering in place or whatever the fuck, however, however the government is deciding to say it now. Stay at home, fun town. Stay at home, staycation. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that many people are like, people f- from my life are contacting like, hey. You want to talk a little bit? You want to FaceTime? And I'm like, no, fuck that. I've got Zoom. Let's do like a Skype call. Let's mm-hmm. do a Google Hangout. A with, conference call. With mo- a conference call with multiple people. Uh-huh. And so like um, Saturday night, we ha- we had a, a fantastic call with a bunch of people from our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was beautiful. Yep. It was emotional. It was touching. It was staying in contact with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is um, an unseen benefit of the turmoil that we're facing right now. And I hope that everybody is taking advantage of of that and reaching out to people and making sure they're okay and maybe having a drink over a a, a quote-unquote conference call. Especially if you're feeling isolated. Yes. And, I mean, we're having to do this self-quarantine thing and... If you are used to going where you want, doing what you want, when you want, like most of us are, mm-hmm. then it can feel familiar, unfamiliar to shut yourself in and not do that. Also, many people, if they're following guidelines, are not going over to their friend's house. They're not yeah. uh, going out with their friend's places. And so that can kind of contribute to it as well, that feeling of isolation. So there are ways to get around it. And you just talked about a, a lovely one, right? Using technology to still have that face-to-face time, but not actually being yeah fewer than six feet apart i've even thought i had the thought this weekend that it would be i don't know why because it's not even something i'm really into but that i wish we had like a game console with you know the stupid headset where i could be a a nerdy game guy Mm -hmm. and like uh play 
whatever the fuck. I've never been good at video games. Uh-huh. And, like, you, you, you connect. You chat with um, other... With lots of incels? Like-minded nerds on, on, the, on, the, on the headphones. Yeah. But we don't have a game console. We don't. We do not. So that's ruined for you. Alas... My my hopes are dashed. Mm. You know, another thing that is happening as a result of all this is people are starting to understand that there are flaws in the systems here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And one of the major ones, I think, is the paid sick leave, right? Yeah. Or the absence of paid sick leave. And I wanted to talk about some Pew research here really quick. Ah. Pew, 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 Very nice. They just jump right in here getting uh, survey research done uh, whenever something pops up. Well, people are at home. They know they're going to get them on the phone. Well, when am I going to get one of these calls? Because I'm desperate to get one of these calls. I want to. You're desperate to be pulled. I want to answer the questions. I will do it in full. And I will give it my best. I will not be watching TV while it happens. Wait a minute. You'll do it in full. Yes. You'll do it your best. Yes. And you're not even going to watch TV while you're doing it. Absolutely not. She's not a Christian! Does not apply That lady does not approve of you giving it your best and your all. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Good times. (laughs) So according to Pew... Uh, missing work for an extended period because of the coronavirus would hurt lower income, less highly educated, younger, and non-white workers more than others in the labor force. Okay? Yes. According to this poll that they recently conducted, just over half of employed people, 54%, say they would not get paid if the coronavirus caused them to miss work for at least two weeks. Over half said that. Right. Yes. I would have guessed that to be a much smaller number. Shows what I know. A majority of employed people earning less than $50,000 said they wouldn't get paid if the coronavirus caused them to miss work for at least two weeks. Okay. That is a tragic statistic. So this Pew Research Center information reminds me of a video that I saw today on Twitter from the New York Times, and in it, they talked to a shift manager who works at a McDonald's restaurant in Kansas City, Missouri, and they they are asking questions about the sick leave policy and in it you learn that this shift manager has worked for McDonald's for i think over 10 years is not making more than $12 an hour after having worked there for for 10 years and doesn't have sick leave wow does not have sick leave 10 years and so a company McDonald's uh, that earned $5.3 billion last year. Yeah. Billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cannot guarantee paid sick leave for all of its workers. I worked at McDonald's for over 10 years. On that face that you see that it serves you your hash brown for breakfast, maybe a quarter pounder for lunch, and they even gave you McFlurry to top off your dinner menu. So I ask you, if I caught the coronavirus, would you want me making your next meal? There are 500,000 McDonald's workers just like me that have to go to work whether sick or well because we have no paid sick leave. 
I currently make $11.50. I live paycheck to paycheck. The sixth day for me is lost wages. I literally have to be damn near on my deathbed to take a full-blown sick day. The missed check is the difference between me having a roof over me and my family's head versus us being homeless. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? McDonald's is one of the largest employers in the world. There are hundreds of thousands of McDonald's workers that touch millions of customers' food each day. There is nothing so clean as my burger machine. The CDC found that 20% of food service workers go to work even exhibiting signs of vomiting or diarrhea. And I should know, I'm one of those workers. Last week, I was under the weather. I was sick to the point where I had to leave the grill to go to the restroom and I wound up vomiting. And I could have been sent home with paid sick leave and not have to worry about coming to work sick because I don't have to worry about how my bills are going to get covered for the days that I missed. Hello, McFamily. Last week, McDonald's did roll out a coronavirus plan stating that anybody that's quarantined will be paid. Protecting the well-being of our people and our customers is our number one priority. But you guys, don't be fooled. That's only for corporate-owned McDonald's. But 95% of McDonald's are franchise stores, including my store. So that does not benefit us whatsoever. Today, the Senate has taken up coronavirus legislation. This week, the government passed a law that enables people that have the coronavirus to get paid time off. Two weeks of paid sick leave. The bill does have an exemption for businesses with 500 employees. Depending on how you look at it, it only covers about 20% of workers. Republicans made it so that doesn't apply to big businesses, such as McDonald's. And listen closely. That's only with the coronavirus. What about the flu? What about the next outbreak? What then? McDonald's has the power to make it so anybody in a McDonald's uniform that wears the McDonald's logo, like I do, could be provided with paid sick leave, especially during this critical time. Companies can change this. Since this coronavirus pandemic, Olive Garden has given their employees paid sick leave, not just during this time, but for good. So we know that McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Subway, they can all do it as well, but they just have chosen not to. McDonald's could provide paid sick leave for hundreds of thousands of its workers right now, here today. Well, with that being said, off to work I go. Y'all have a blessed day. So this video, really well done, very powerful. I hope that that shift manager does not have negative consequences, negative repercussions yeah, right. for appearing in this video. I don't know what will happen with that, but I do know that this has been seen by a lot of people. Hopefully, the New York Times would have their back if something went down. Right. And I I just this is one of the things that's so important about what's happening is a lot of people are starting to think about, okay, it's a problem that a majority of people who are working, right, that are making less than fifty thousand dollars in this in this pew poll, uh, wouldn't get paid if they got coronavirus yeah. and they couldn't work for two weeks. Yeah. That they would just be, oh, sorry that that happened to you, and now you're going to have to kind of, or maybe be fired, deal with that. Yeah, 
you know. You deal with the loss, the, the, the income you're not earning, or you maybe you're fired. Yeah. The, the, the Through sa- no fault of your own. The same difficulty right now, the same um, issue with our system it, that's being um, highlighted is also like pinning health insurance to a job. Mm-hmm. That's why Medicaid for all, it, Medicare for all is such an important thing right now mm-hmm. because if you get fired from your job because you missed two weeks of work because you're sick, you shouldn't lose your health care too. If you get sick and have to take a week or 10 days or two weeks off, you should have paid sick leave. And right now, it's being considered, it's being talked about on a national level from an emergency standpoint. Like, oh, it's a national emergency that all these people could be getting sick and losing um, pay because they don't have paid sick leave. So the government's going to step in. It's a problem that because it's a national emergency, everybody is experiencing it. If you get sick and you face homelessness because you got sick, that's an emergency for you. Just because paid sick leave doesn't affect me doesn't make it less of an emergency for that person. Mm -hmm. If you get cancer... And you don't have health care, that's a fucking emergency. Mm-hmm. We need to start looking at things from the perspective outside of, oh, national emergency. Yeah, that's important. Mm-hmm. It's just as fucking important with somebody with cancer. It's just as fucking important to this person who works at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It's just as much of an emergency. We need to take action through whether it be uh, legislation or at the very least, Massive social pressure on companies like McDonald's, who earned almost $6 billion last year in profits, and who paid their CEO in 2018 almost $16 million while he was on the way out the door being fired for doing a bad job. He did a shitty job, made $16 million, and got shit-canned. Well, and listen, if people can't come to this conclusion just of their own accord through their own compassion and empathy then hopefully the argument made in that mcdonald's video on sick leave will motivate you because out of selfishness right whatever it takes okay (laughs) if it's a concern for your own health and safety that's motivating you to then support sick leave because you don't want to have the quarter pounder with cheese that is served by someone who has the flu and can't afford to stay home right nobody wants a corona burger then then fine Right. If that's what it takes for you to finally get on board, great. Right. I would prefer it not be that way. Yeah. Right. But whatever it takes. You'd prefer them find their empathy before they find their fucking tragedy. Exactly. But whatever it takes. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's another thing that we're starting to realize is that we're far more connected than maybe some people wanted to admit or realize. Do you think? Dependent on each other. Absolutely. Do you think that we are coming to a place where people are starting to appreciate, but for the grace of God, this would be me? Mm. A couple of different moves, I could be in this position. Do you think that because of what's happening right now, people are starting to like piece the pieces together and realize they're not some magical force that all oh, nothing like this could ever happen to me maybe she should have made better decisions to only make 1150 an hour yeah 
are we are we getting closer to that? It seems like maybe we are to me. Yeah, I I have no idea. I I don't know. I mean, obviously you're asking me for my feeling. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have any data on that. Uh, <laughs> Robot no. does not compute. Yeah. <laughs> no research. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know how to answer that. I can't. Speaking from my own social networks, um, I haven't seen a real big change in that that would tell me that yeah. it's moving in that direction. I mean, I could project my own feelings onto other people. And Listen. and I certainly feel like that on a continuous basis. All you had so, to say, all you had to say. I'm not prepared. <laughs> yeah, come on now, Brittany. So I, w- I want to jump back to Pew for a second because... They also have this in here. Nearly seven in 10 employed people with family incomes of less than 30,000 a year, 68%, say they would not get paid if they had to miss work for two weeks because of the coronavirus. So when you jump that income down a bit, the number actually goes up of people that would not yeah, be getting paid course. if they miss work for two weeks. Because the, the the less money you make, the fewer dollars you make, the more fucking taken advantage of you, you are mm-hmm. by your by the system, by your employer, by your multi-billion dollar conglomerate corporation. Yeah, and so I'm hoping that people are starting to see the writing on the wall here. And like you said, that we are all just... S- some bad luck away from tragedy. Yeah. Everybody, right? Absolutely and everybody. I know that's kind of like not great to say, right? Not very optimistic, but it it's, it's fucking true. Yeah, and I I think that it should be actually humbling for people to think like that, right? Uh it's all about recognizing your luck and the role that luck has played in your life to get you to where you are and that can make you more compassionate when you look at other people's stories because you're able then able to recognize how bad luck has played a role in their life to get them to the position that they are. And at the very least, at the very least it might spark some gratitude in them. For what they have, at the very fucking least. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, here we are, several minutes into the show, and uh, thank you for that, Brittany. That was beautiful, very valuable. All of that, the pew, the video. We have a bunch of listener communication to get to. Mm-hmm. As with last episode, yeah, we're going to start today with a little uh, uh, a listener taking issue with something that. Uh, the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page said. I'm just on a roll. <laughs> hey, this is Jeff from Fullerton, California. And uh, Brittany, I know you're bummed out from Dr. Fauci um, stepping up and talking about Trump and the way he is. But he, that's what we need. We need somebody who is competent in their job and is going to do, like, bite the bullet and do what it takes to not have that fucking sycophant sit there and that egomaniac and just turn around and be like, oh, no, you didn't fucking lick my boots, so you're gone. It doesn't matter how competent anybody is if they're not able to do the job and please the guy who sits there and holds the guillotine over his head. So, yeah, it sucks, and it's disappointing that it has to be that way because... Those of us who voted for the narcissist in chief um, did so in a way that put him in power. And then those of us who didn't vote for the narcissist in chief are sitting there constantly in our uh, facepalm position 
except now our palms are inches away from our face. Um, but yeah, I don't be disappointed in him staying in the position that we fucking need him to be in because he is competent and knows what he's fucking doing. And I can't say that about almost anybody else in the whole administration. So, yes, Jeff, I I am not disappointed that he's staying there in the in the administration. I, I don't I don't think that's what you said, is it? No, my disappointment is in how well, he's can I, can not I, pushing back more forcefully. Can I play the first five seconds? Because I want to get my brain around what it is he said to what 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 Jeff here said. OK, just real, just as for me. Fuck all you guys. If you already got it, I didn't. Hey, this is Jeff from Fullerton, California. And uh, Brittany, I know you're out from Dr. Fauci um, stepping up and talking about Trump and the huh, okay go ahead yeah I'm and I'm not bummed out about him stepping up and talking about Trump in the way that he is I mean I I guess I am right but but I don't know if it's in the way that Jeff was saying it I I wish that Dr. Fauci would step up and not have to say things in defense of Trump's statements during the press conferences can I can I ask you to clarify what you just said? You're, would you would you you want him to not have to do it or you want him to just not do it those are two different things like when we're going to play clips later after we get through the listener communication here and there's a moment where Donald Trump gets corrected by a reporter and by Fauci and Fauci does this thing where he kind of vacillates like oh well you shouldn't have to say that John and he he talks to the reporter. I'm not making any sense because no one knows what I'm talking about. But which do you, do you wish he didn't feel the pressure, or you just wish he wouldn't do it at all? Only deal with the facts. Yeah, I wish he. I wish he wouldn't do it at all. Yeah. So when Donald Trump is touting a treatment that is not has poisoned people in in Nigeria already, well, that there's no evidence to support what Trump is saying, and then Dr. Fauci gets up and says that he understands that Trump is just trying to instill hope, yeah. and he's just trying to be positive. But yeah, what he's saying is wrong. Like, you don't need to, you can just leave out the defense of the tone. You can leave out the defense of the hope. You don't need to put that stuff in there, right? But maybe he feels pressure to so that he doesn't lose his job. Yeah. And if that's the case, okay, I guess. But I, But what scares me about it is that people at Fox News are going to latch on to that and be playing it, like, look at Dr. Fauci it defending real, Donald Trump. It potentially does real damage. There's real danger in, in, in that. But I also understand the motivation behind it coming from Dr. Fauci, which the motivation is likely that Donald Trump if you praise him, doesn't remember the criticism. So if you say you defend him for his statements about hope and being positive, he's going to be like, okay, good. I mean, he talked about how I don't understand the science stuff, but at yeah. least he praised how I'm trying to instill hope in everybody. He's a fucking child. Yes. So uh, Dr. Fauci was interviewed in Science Mag, Science Magazine, sciencemag.org. And it's actually a very great interview, which kind of shifted my perspective a little bit. So the the first question the interviewer asks, the first question everyone has is, how are you? And Dr. Fauci says, well, I'm sort of exhausted, but other than that, I'm good. I mean, I'm not, to my knowledge, coronavirus infected. To my knowledge, I haven't been fired. And he laughs. And then the question is, how are you managing to not get fired? 
And he says, well, that's pretty interesting because... (laughs) That's not a great response. (laughs) It's pretty interesting how I'm able to not get fired. Right. Because to President Trump's credit, even though we disagree on some things, he listens. He goes his own way. He has his own style. But on substantive issues, he does listen to what I say. Okay. Mm -hmm. Later on in the interview... The interviewer says, you stood by President Trump while he shook everybody's hands, right? And you're standing next to him. It's a great interview. That's some good questions. When you're gathered around with 10 or more people, right? Fucking asshole to belly button. And I want to get into that. So the questioner says, you're standing there saying nobody should gather with more than 10 people. And there are almost 10 people with you on that stage. And there are certainly more than 10 journalists in the audience. Dr. Fauci says, I know that. I'm trying my best. I cannot do the impossible. Questioner proceeds. What about the travel restrictions? President Trump keeps saying that the travel ban for for China, which began February 2nd, had a big impact on slowing the spread of the virus to the United States, but that he wishes China would have told us three to four months earlier and that they were, quote, very secretive. China did not immediately reveal the discovery of a new coronavirus in late December, but by January 10th, Chinese researchers made the sequence of the virus to the public. It just doesn't comport with facts. Dr. Fauci says, I know, but what do you want me to do? I mean, seriously, John, let's get real. What do you want me to do? And he goes on to ask, like, do you want me to jump in front of the microphone, basically? Like, am I, what am I to do here when Donald Trump starts saying things that are not accurate? Yeah. Right? Am I supposed to jump in the way and (laughs) say that he's wrong? Look, he's in a tough fucking spot, for sure. And when he said that, it kind of struck me as, okay, I understand what's happening here. Yeah. He's trying to play a game that he has to play. And it's not, listen, I don't think it's just about him keeping his job. No. It's about, look, I'm the best fucking person in this position, and who the fuck knows who's going to be hired and who's going to replace me at the hand of Donald Trump if I end up getting fired. That's important. Something to be considered. For sure. And so I, I was bummed out with Dr. Fauci, but... Now I feel as though I get what he's trying to do. And even though it bums me out that... That Jeff is right? <laughs> well, sure. I'm, not, I'm fucking making a joke. Obviously, you don't care whether he's right or wrong. But that he steps forward and defends the statements that he's making when they're when they're false. And I just wish he could be like, dude, stop talking about yeah. things that you don't know about. I understand he can't do that. It bums me out that he can't. Well, you know, as as our uh, famed and, and, and brilliant order and communicator, Lyndon Baines Johnson, our former president, said, wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up faster, Brittany mm. Page. <laughs> he was a wordsmith. Yeah, profound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so listen, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wanted to drop the little funny note there, but really it is kind of a... It is tension between wishing something could be the case and and having to just live with the fact that that's not the world we live in. Fauci has to fucking dance on the, the head of a fucking pen here because Donald Trump is such a fucking insolent child. Yeah, well, and then I guess my other thing is, does he does he have to say 
oh, but he's trying to be positive and yeah. he's trying to instill hope. I mean, does he really need to say those right. things? He can just leave that out. Yeah, I don't think he even needs to add that. But also, he works with Donald Trump on a daily basis. And I'm sure, I mean, he, he's a doctor, scientist guy. So he, well, he could say that privately to him, then. Yeah. yeah right? Or yeah. like float that through the team that he really appreciates his positivity. Yeah. <laughs> and his hope that Who he's trying knows. to instill. Didn't you also, we're going to get to all of this, by the way, to put this in fuller protect, per, perspective later, protection. And, uh, You'll, you'll know what we're talking about. Didn't they interview him and say, well, have, did you did you get talked to after you put your hands on your face with the old face palm? Yeah, because he did the face palm that has gone viral after, after Donald deep, Trump says deep state department. Yeah, deep state or department. Or I like to call it the deep state department. <laughs> and Anthony Fauci looks like he's going to start laughing and grabs his face and tries to hide it. And they ask him, were you reprimanded for that? Have you been criticized for what you did? And he says, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Which speaks volumes. Mm. Oftentimes, what you don't say says more than what you do. Yeah. Don't go with no comment if you're yeah, trying to hide probably something. Probably not. <laughs> Just look blankly. Yeah. Act like you didn't hear the question. That's better. So anyway, Jeff, thank you for the, for the, for the call. We appreciate yes. it very much. Uh, let's move on. Now we've got. Now we've moved off of the 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 critical, the criticism, mm. mild in this case, mm. and let's move on to some listener communication in the spirit of last episode, where people are kind of talking about their coronavirus sitch, uh, the situation that they're they're in right now, uh, dealing in their daily life uh, with our current situation. So. I'm just recording this while I'm contemplating existence. Um, as an ICU nurse at the forefront of this pandemic, and I've been off for a couple of days. Uh, when I was last at work, we were starting to try to rule out patients who possibly had this you know, COVID-19, which is really the disease process caused by a specific coronavirus. So I don't know. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this. Um, I watch patients die of the flu in the exact same manner that COVID-19 patients are dying. So I have the part of my brain that says, you know, this isn't much different. You know, people with many comorbidities, which just means people who have a lot of issues, especially as we age, um, they die of very simple respiratory illnesses just because of their disease processes leading to it. And I'm now going into a position where a, I'm exposing myself to a very unknown illness in the very real world. Like, we still don't know exactly how to handle young people on this, like how bad it is for young people versus old people, comorbidities, you know, disease process. Like, we still don't have true predictors on what is, you know, lending itself to making people ill, especially when we have like essentially typhoid Marys wandering around free willy nilly and, um, causing illnesses in other people. But 
in the United States, we have people who are in the 20 to 40 year range who are dying of this. And that's the majority of nurses and doctors. So I just, um, as a person on, I guess what I want to say, the front lines of this, um, it makes me really nervous. It makes me super curious. Like it's fascinating because of how much I love my job to be a nurse during this pandemic because I am a super nerd and this is fascinating, but it's also kind of terrifying because although I do have to go to work and my husband does too, because he is also a nurse, um, we have a kid and we don't know how bad this is for kids. Like what is this even? Um, I don't know. I guess, uh, just curious and interested to see how this goes. I, we will know how this shapes up in the next like few months. And, um, hopefully Drager produces enough ventilators because we need those in case it gets like super bad. So that's just my feelings on this. And it's a random stream of thought conversation that I'm having with myself. Thank you for that call. And I know who it is. I don't remember if she said her name. So yeah, we'll not do that. Please stay safe. Both you and your husband and your kid for your kid's sake. Absolutely. And your, and your kid. Um, I want to talk about typhoid Mary because (laughs) some people may not know what that means. The, the best <laughs> the best way to learn about Typhoid Mary, by the way. Yeah. Can I say what I think it is? What is it? Drunk history on Comedy oh, Central. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Go to YouTube and just search Typhoid Mary Comedy Central or Drunk History. Yeah. Goddamn. That's where you go. Well, and I wonder how historically accurate drunk history is sometimes, but I think they're pretty good. Pretty good. I learned about Claudette Colvin, mm-hmm. who was like... She was uh, Rosa Parks 1.0, version 1.0. Mm-hmm. She did what, what Rosa Parks did before Rosa Parks did it, and they actually got the idea for what Rosa Parks did, the NAACP, because Rosa Parks worked for the NAACP, mm-hmm. from what Rosa Parks did as a teenager. From what Claudette Colvin did as a teenager. From what Claudette Colvin did, exactly, yes, sorry. You're, yeah, you're so, uh, yeah, I think I think pretty accurate. Yeah. I, certainly the, 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 the broad strokes are accurate. Yeah, so Mary, Typhoid Mary, uh, was uh, a cook, an Irish cook, and she is believed to have infected, like, I don't know, 50-plus people. Luckily, it was a bunch of rich people. (laughs) Okay, with typhoid (laughs) fever, and she was asymptomatic. She was an asymptomatic carrier of the disease. Yeah, like the first one. Yeah, and so that's what the term typhoid Mary means, I believe, is asymptomatic carriers of disease. Who pass it on to others who end up getting sick and either just being sick or dying, yeah. So when the caller says there's a bunch of typhoid Marys walking around, that is people who are carrying the disease but asymptomatic, like Rand Paul, Ah, for example. you beat me to it. Like Rand Paul visiting the Senate gym, going for a swimmy swim when he was waiting for his test results, because that's what you do. Yeah, that's, that's what the protocol is. It's for sure what you do, Also, right? good for you, Rand Paul, for getting a test when you're asymptomatic and there's no reason for you to be getting a test, but I mean, sure. Luckily, he did because he does have coronavirus. 
I don't wish the fucking idiot to die. I mean, I know you don't either. I'm just, I'm making a point about how it's so difficult for people who yeah. are experiencing symptoms. Definite disparity. Who are uh, hurting and need assistance, and it's difficult for them to get tested, but then Rand Paul, like, gets out of the swimming pool and gets a test right off the bat. It's just frustrating. I wonder where he got it. I, I shared a status on the Facebook that uh, somebody wondered if Rand Paul contracted the virus from touching dirty bootstraps, you know, people mm. pulling up themselves by their bootstraps. Yeah. Also, his dad, Ron Paul, yeah. the racist fuck, wrote uh, a, a blog entry or whatever, because that's what he does now, uh, about the coronavirus hoax. And then not uh, a week later, his son contracts said virus, said hoax. Mm-hmm. The only person in the history of the United States or the world to ever test positive for a hoax. Good time. Well, Rand Paul also joined a handful of Republican lawmakers who opposed the $100 billion stimulus package on Wednesday to combat yeah, yeah, COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so- seriously, how, how many ways can we fuck this guy? Fuck him. For sure. I don't wish him ill. I don't wish him dead. But, you know, I'm not going to cry buckets of tears when his neighbor tackles him and breaks a couple ribs. Well, and he's asymptomatic, so I think he's probably fine, but he's doing the quarantine thing so that he doesn't infect other people. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he'll go back to his job at LensCrafters soon, because, you know, he's a... That joke did not land. He's an ophthalmologist. He's not a optometrist, <laughs> but, you know... Uh huh. Yeah, everyone was like, "Why did he? Why did he go into the Senate gym? He's a doctor." Yeah. Well, remember we're talking about not all doctors have knowledge in all areas. And, I mean, he's a he's an ophthalmologist. I mean, Let's not, technically you know. he should know because it's kind of like a common sense thing, but common sense is not so common. I think right? Ron Paul is an actual doctor, like oh. a real. Real, you might want to fact check that real quick. Mm-hmm. But I think he's a real doctor. I mean, Ron Rand Paul is a real doctor. He's just such a fucking goofball. It's hard to give him the credit. Anyway, let's say this to the caller. Thank you very much. While Brittany fact checks, thank you very much for what you're doing. Your husband are doing. Your job is very necessary. Yeah, he is a doctor. He has a Doctor of Medicine degree from Duke University School of Medicine and completed his medical internship at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, and he served as a flight surgeon in the United States Air Force. Ron Paul. I believe it's called the Chair Force. Mm. I see. <laughs> I'll let you have that. I'm in a mood today, Brittany you, Bates. You really, really are. So anyway, uh, caller and your husband, thank you very much. There are so many different professions right now who are in the lurch, who are out there on, and I don't think it's 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 wrong to say on the front lines, mm-hmm. on the front lines of this particular situation we're in. And uh bless you. Thank you. You're you're a you're, you're a, a credit to humanity. Uh next up we have another call talking about their particular COVID sitch. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. This is Grace from Buffalo, New York. I'm calling um, regarding episode 660, where you asked for people to leave a message about how they're feeling during all of this pandemic. Um, and since I'm in the state of New York, just like the state of California, we have a uh, shelter in place, although that's not what they call it, but let's face it, that's what it is. Rather than share any hardships or any of that, I wanted to share a bright spot. My son is in culinary school at Erie Community College. 
And because they can't meet, uh, they were sent home with all of their uh, supplies. And there is a special um, app that was set up, or not app, I guess it's on the computer program, that's like a webcam, and the teacher is there, and they all dial in, and they all cook some stuff. And what I mean by that, or what I'm trying to get at, is we have had some very delicious and tasty meals. Um, so we're kind of benefiting from it from that. In fact, I've had duck for the very first time in my life, and it was delicious. Anyway, just wanted to send send a little sunshine your way, and I hope that you um, stay happy and you stay healthy. And I pray that we all come out of this stronger together. This is fantastic. Absolutely. I love the, the silver lining, the, the positivity. Yes. Of course I do, because I'm the fucking ding-dong optimist. Well, I think I've had duck before. Have I? Well, this is what's so great about duck is... Well, it's not so great. It's an odd thing. Duck, for me, is kind of like the lamb of the air. The the lamb of the air? Yeah, a lot of people don't like lamb because it's kind of gamey. Uh-huh. It's kind of that way with duck. It, duck's one of those things that some people just don't fucking like. Mm. And having duck for the first time and liking it is a... Uh, I mean, I don't want to say magical experience. Mm-hmm. Fucking fat guy over here. Is but... it like a superior palate situation where you have more of an advanced palate if you like it on the first try? <laughs> I would not dare to be so judgmental, Brittany Page. That is not how I operate. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I thought that that would be coming. Because like, if you don't like lamb, I mean, I get it. Because there is something different about it. It's so good. But it's so fucking good. You need to check yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. You need to check yourself right into the nearest Applebee's, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but but, well, but the, the duck, kind of the same thing. It's fucking good as shit. Real, real good. Yeah. Well, and also, you've been cooking delicious things. You made... Uh, yeah. What did you make today? I made uh, some kind of a hoisin pork ground pork noodle dish with Napa cabbage and delicious, some carrots. Delicious. Delicious. Real, real good. Real tasty, real spice. I would, I would, yeah, Szechuan peppercorns ground up. I put some, uh, Eric from Oklahoma sent me this three pack. I think I talked about it on the show. This three pack of chili. I'm going, this could be a cooking fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he sent me these awesome chili flakes. Put some, I also made hummus today. Yeah. Fucking good times in the house. Yes. Quarantine central over here. Yeah, we're here. not starving up in here. Tasty snacks. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Grace, thank you very much for the uh, for the sunshine. Absolutely. Um, we need more of it. Absolutely. And listen, we're not. I'm not bitching and complaining about people not sending sunshine because I get it. I fucking feel it. But we need both. Mm-hmm. We really, we need both. Now, on to another call, same kind of a situation. I am, let me preface it by saying, I feel really good about the fact, I don't know whether, I almost tripped over myself to say blessed again, but I feel lucky to have an audience that's so diverse, that we've got so many people in so many different professions. Um, for instance, the, the, the earlier caller, and now is a nurse, and, and, and this caller is, is a doctor. We, and from all over the globe, people who have the experience in these different fields coming to share their experience. Hey, guys, this is Jill from Denmark. Not too often I call you. Just thought I'd uh, call and uh, give th- some thoughts on the corona situation. Um, I grew up in the U.S., and... 
I know when other crises have hit, uh, like 9-11, then I could feel that I reacted like an American and not like a, a Dane. This time I really feel like I react like a Dane and I'm happy that I am living in Denmark at this point in time. Um, when I look around at how other people react, some uh, of the young students, they move home to their parents. Others, they stay where they're at because uh, that's where they feel most comfortable. People living abroad, uh, some people, they move home uh, to the country they came from. And others, they stay in the country that they're living in because they feel like that's where they have their life, that's where they belong. So that's one of the things I've really noticed is that people, they uh, they uh, react by thinking about where where they where they belong. Um, for me, my life is um, pretty much normal because I work at a hospital, so I just keep going to work. Uh, our government has been uh, very good at um, at uh, starting the uh, lockdowns very quickly. So um, at this moment, we are prepared to receive COVID patients, um, but we don't have very many, at least in my area of, of uh, Denmark. Uh, a lot of the COVID patients uh, in the beginning, they were... Uh, on uh, they were skiing in northern Italy and in Austria, so most of the spread in uh, in Denmark and I think in a lot of other European countries uh, has come because of uh, people on vacation uh, skiing in January and February, uh, unaware that the coronavirus was uh, spreading. So that's why you see such an explosion. Um, we've been watching uh, the news. And uh, looking what's happening in uh, in Italy, and we really hope that uh, that the uh, lockdown that has been put in effect very uh, quickly in our country, at least it seemed very quickly. Uh, we're hoping that it will uh, that it will allow the the number of um, patients requiring hospitalization and intensive care. Uh, we hope that uh, we'll be able to uh, cover the amount of patients that come. But it's really weird. Just um, like one of my colleagues said, it's like being in a in a bad zombie film. You're just waiting for something bad to happen, and you don't know what's going to happen. It's a weird feeling. So um, anyway, so anyway, uh, keep safe, everyone, and uh, thanks for the show, guys. Let me praise Jill. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me not address anything she said real quick. That'll be your job, I think. I want to shower Jill with love and affection because Jill fucking gets it. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the show. I'm talking mm-hmm. about me specifically. I maybe I'm totally fucking dialed in wrong, but I feel like Jill fucking gets the jokes. You feel heard and you feel seen by Jill. Yeah, I fuck I really do because Jill will email in and there'll be little jibes, little jibs, little little fucking quips. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> digging at me mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah. Jill gets it. Yes. Fucking I love Jill. Yes. Well, she is a doctor. Long-time listener of the show. Long-time listener of the show. Um, we also have a special place in our hearts if I may. Yeah. For our international listeners. 
Absolutely, but we love Jill because she is. We just we've never met her. Obviously, you're right. Fuck everybody else. We love Jill. No, That's right. well, I mean, we love Jill <laughs> because she. Like I said, we've never met her, but we can tell that she's a very special person and we just develop connections with people without yeah, having yeah. to meet them. It just that's what well, it's happens. human nature. I mean, in this new technological age, you, you get a you get a flavor of somebody. Yeah, you, 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 you kind of understand the cut of somebody's jib, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. And when this whole thing is no longer a thing. We hope to make a trip to Denmark and... And you better have a spare fucking bedroom. That's all I'm saying. That would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, Jill, for your perspective. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, on to another international caller. Wayne from the UK. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Brittany and Popeye. It's Wayne from the UK here, just giving you an update on what's going on over here with regards to um, the government policies regarding coronavirus. Firstly, um, Boris has finally shut down all the pubs and clubs. Fucking um, finally. Restaurants, bars, gyms, theatres, everything to try and encourage people to stop socialising and slow down the spread of this disease. But um, the English exceptionalism is kicking in and oh, we don't need any of that muck. We can go out and do what we like. And people are ignoring it, which is shocking. The working situation, because um, the they're trying to s- slow down the um, the spread of the virus. They're shutting down most non-essential jobs, um, and what they're doing to compensate the nation is if you're in full-time employment, but your job has been negatively affected by the coronavirus. Um, Uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer has decreed that the government will pay up to 80% of our salaries while we're off. And that's looking like for the next 12 weeks. Now, my job involves going into people's homes and doing full energy assessments on their properties. Now, there's no way that we can be doing that in this current situation. So that means the government will step in and pay 80% of my wages which is quite similar to what they're doing in Germany, mostly Scandinavia, France, and other European countries. We're not just doubling out checks, we're actually paying people wages to make it so people can viably sustain their lifestyle until they can return to the job that's already there. Um, With regards to how people are behaving over here, it's disgusting. People are ignoring things that the government is saying for their own health, but again, this English exceptionalism, oh, we, we beat the Nazis in the war and, you know, we didn't do this during World War Two. It's just absolute cod shit that people are coming out with. This emotional, vacuous crap that think that it's going to save them. And it's just sheer arrogance. Like there's people, even today, on Mother's Day, queuing up outside my local Tesco's I think the headcount was like 2,000 people trying to get into this one shop on a Sunday because they're trying to get the stuff for me, not the stuff for we. They're looking at for themselves. And if anything, this has highlighted the the altruism of certain people and also highlighted the selfishness of certain people. Uh, There it is. That's what's going on in the UK. I hope you all keep safe. Popeye's the best part. And he does the best farts. 
<laughs> he most certainly does. I don't the best. How would you know, Wayne? <laughs> How would you know, sir? Well, the the AKC name for the breed is actually just Bulldog, mm. but it's commonly colloquially known as the English Bulldog. So maybe he does know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe he does know. But he doesn't know Popeye's specific situation as it relates the, to the farts. He's never really encountered the flavor. No. The flavor, oh, the farts. He has not. He's only watched me encounter the flavor Pungent. of the farts. Pungent, sir. Quite strong. Indeed. Yes. Yeah, let me back that up. <laughs> so, um, learned a few things mm-hmm. from Wayne's voicemail. Okay. Not even being snarky. Yes. <laughs> One, I saw a post from a listener of the show, mm-hmm. Hannah, also from the UK, uh-huh. and she was like, happy Mother's Day. And I asked you, I'm like, is it fucking Mother's Day today? Because I don't fucking know. I'm, you know, I'm detached it, from that shit. It is not Mother's Day. Not in America. In America. But apparently, yes. who knew? I'm so wrapped up in the American thing. Yes. That I fucking thought it was all the same. It's not. So interesting to find out. Yes. What else did you learn? English exceptionalism. Again, very American-centric. I thought American exceptionalism was like a a special thing. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a a term that's widely talked about. American exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea there was a thing of English exceptionalism. And maybe it's because nobody really thinks the English are fucking exceptional. Come on. How (laughs) dare you? Wayne does not appreciate that. Of course Wayne does not appreciate that. No. And also, Americans aren't fucking exceptional either. And to to bolster Wayne's point about uh, idiots ignoring the fucking the rules, I just posted a video today of a friend of a friend in Boise, Idaho, where we're both from, driving by a busy park in like the most liberal area of the city with all of these idiots out there playing bocce ball and fucking doing what the fuck ever. Uh huh. God damn. Well, and if you watch that video, I don't know if you can see it, but I once tumbled all the way down the Ca- hill. The Camelback Hill. Yes. I was running down it and then. Why would you. That is a giant, massive, fucking insane. Why would you do that? Well, I was a kid and. So you're a dumb person. I. I literally was Were tumbling down the person. hill and had like sand in my hair and I was all fucked up. It was <laughs> it was not good. Also, Camelsback uh, Park. Are you saying are you saying I'm not prepared? You weren't prepared. Camelsback Park used to have metal playground equipment at the top of the hill. My my legs just started burning talking about that this. That is fucking insanity. It was dangerous. Flat out dangerous. And at the top of the giant hill. In the sun, metal. It's My legs are... I'm having a physiological response yeah, no, to even talking about this even because... Not the burning playground equipment. Why would you put it at the top of the steep-ass hill that people No, it wasn't themselves? at the top of the hill. It was oh. like... It was, it was somewhere around there. But oh, it's not right. where the playground equipment is now. It yeah, was somewhere yeah. else. But anyway, it was in the sun... And it was hot as hell. So go I watch. Mean, listen, go watch the video to see so, somewhat of the the nomenclature of the area on the Facebook page if you're curious. And that was the park where I got my ass burned as a kid. So mm. that's that's the one right there. Nice. Mm-hmm. So and the other thing, yeah, is not about uh, learning something, but I wonder. I can't imagine. I'm just putting my thing out there, just my own fucking thing. But I can't imagine that. 
Like people who actually went and beat the Nazis in World War II, who survived the Blitzkrieg in London. Like that they are like, yeah, we beat the Nazis. We'll fucking kill this virus. It's probably idiots who fucking had no military service. They just say we as in Britons. Hmm. Like people say, yeah, well, we beat the Nazis here in America. No, you didn't. You went to fucking Starbucks, asshole. You didn't beat anything. <laughs> you fucking mook. Well, and I, I will say there, of course, there's people that are not listening, but there's many, many people that are listening. Yeah, for sure. That's a mix of both, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think we're naturally going to highlight the bad actors because- We should. It, we should call attention to it, them. It prompts more of a negative emotional reaction that we remember, but also remember there's a lot of people staying in that you're not seeing, and we need more of that. And hopefully we will have more of that as people begin to understand what we're really grappling with here. Yes. So that is our final call. I want to thank Wayne from the UK, Jill from Denmark, Grace from New York, Jeff from right here in Orange County, California, and the, because I don't remember if she said her name, that other person from that place in America. Yeah. <laughs> We know where, but... Thank you all. We appreciate it. Here we are past an hour. Uh, we love you. Appreciate you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always, and we encourage you to do so, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Here we are, mid-roll. This late in the show. That means it's a good one. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and... Good-looking listeners like you, by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Thank you to each and every one of our beautiful and loyal Patreon supporters. Thank you to each and every one of our beautiful and loyal PayPal supporters. And thank you to each and every one of our beautiful and loyal just listeners in general. We appreciate all of you. You help us do what we do here. You keep us motivated. You keep the lights on. You keep Jesse uh, happy and you keep me happy. Don't fucking speak for me. Okay, I won't speak for you. I will say this. We did receive one single new review. Oh. I don't have it. Has it posted yet? Because, you know, iTunes has to make sure it's they, they, they want to censor shit. Yeah. But one. One. I didn't just say, hey, a recommendation. I said, hey, go fucking do it, please. Remember, I said I was on my knees and I lied about it. But I was I was pleading. We got one, one. Well, I think part of the thousands of people listen to the show, thousands, and we have three hundred eighty-eight ratings and/or reviews. Well, I think that is a pittance. I think that is a travesty. Part of the that problem is injustice. If there's any injustice in the world, and I'm not even sure there is. <laughs> that is the biggest among them. I think that part of the problem is you are demanding things, and no one likes being told what to do. Everybody fucking loves being told what to do. That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. That's the audience talking to me. I think so. I think that's right. All right. Are we moving on? We are. Moving on. Dalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. 
So let's get into what Jeff from Fullerton was really talking about. Exactly. Here we are finally. Yes. <laughs> Which is the, they're doing daily press briefings related to the coronavirus, right? Coming yeah. out, giving the American public updates. Actually in the White House press briefing room, which hasn't been used right. since Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And, and even then, mm-hmm. sparsely used. Of course. Stephanie Grisham, the actual sitting Press secretary has never fucking done a presser in there. I was going to say, has she even been? Not a single one. Nope. Yeah. So they're coming out and Dr. Anthony Fauci is behind Trump. And sometimes he comes up to the podium when a question is relevant to his area of expertise. Mike Pence is back there all the time. There's different. There's a different cast of characters that are uh, the supporting crew behind Donald Trump. And this is a really interesting moment. And isn't it, though? When you watch the video, it makes it just that much better. So Uh, if you haven't watched the video, this is mm, definitely something you want to check out. I'm doing chef kiss. So I think this is the press conference from either Thursday or Friday. And what we're going to play here starts around the 38 mark, 38 minute mark. And I want you to pay attention to the interactions that are going to happen here. Okay. Donald Trump is going to be at the podium first, and he's going to be taking a question from John Roberts, who works at Fox News. You're going to notice at a certain point that... Who, who, by the way, is a decent... I mean, he has an editorial bend because of his bosses, but a decent reporter. Not uh, He's not a piece of shit. I would say that's a fair assessment, for sure. And Donald Trump is going to be contradicted here. And Dr. Anthony Fauci does it in a very artful way, where he corrects Donald Trump without correcting Donald Trump. He he, he gives John Roberts the focus. That's right. Right? And yeah. says, well, John, you can't say things like that, when really he's saying... Well, Donald, you can't say things like Donald that. Donald Trump just fucking <laughs> said it. And rather than put the criticism to Donald Trump, he focuses it back on the reporter. It's what I was talking about about an hour ago. Right. And really, this is what prompts the lashing out at Peter Alexander that went viral. And we'll talk about it, but let's start the clip. I tell you, we're not very, we're not very far away. And to Dr. Fauci, if I could, Dr. Fauci, uh, as was explained yesterday, there has been some promise with hydroxychloroquine, this potential therapy for people who are infected with coronavirus. Is there any evidence to suggest that, as with malaria, it might be used as a prophylaxis no. against COVID nineteen? No, the answer is is no. And and the the evidence that you're talking about, John, is anecdotal evidence. So as the commissioner of FDA and the president mentioned yesterday. We're trying to strike a, a balance between making something with a potential of an, a, of an effect uh, to the American people available at the same time that we do it under the auspices of a protocol that will give us information to determine if it's truly safe and truly effective. But the information that you're referring to specifically is anecdotal. It was not done in a controlled clinical trial, so you really can't make any definitive statement about it. I think uh, I'm, without uh, seeing too much, I'm probably more of a fan of that than uh, maybe than anybody. <laughs> He's more of a fan of that than anybody. He's the uh, smartest. He knows more about anything than anybody. He's more of a fan of that than anybody. This clip's not over. We got another minute and four seconds here, but you could see the palpable frustration can you not Brittany yeah he certainly he does not like by the way having to move off of the podium and give it to someone else you, he just he doesn't like it and I'm we're not trying to be body language experts here but Donald oh, no, Trump I do I do 
Donald Trump's face makes it very apparent that he does not enjoy what's happening. But I'm a big fan. We'll see what happens. And uh, we all understand what the doctor said is 100 percent correct. It's early. But uh, we've uh, you know, I've seen things that are uh, impressive. We'll see. We're going to know soon. We're going to know soon, including safety. But, you know, when you get that safety, this has been prescribed for many years for people to combat malaria, which was a big problem, and it's very effective. It's a strong, it's a strong drug. So we'll see. Fairly effective against SARS. It was very. It was, as I understand that. I is that a correct statement? It was fairly effective on SARS. John, you've got to be careful when you say fairly effective. It was never done in a clinical trial. They compared it it to anything. It was given to individuals and felt that maybe it worked. So, you've re- but was there anything to compare it to? Well, that's the point. Whenever you do a clinical trial, you do standard of care versus standard of care plus the agent you're evaluating. That's the reason why we showed back in Ebola why particular uh, uh, interventions worked. So it was very beautiful how he did that. Very, yeah. very skillful how he did that. Because I jumped the gun earlier about the building frustration mm-hmm. because I wasn't paying attention. This is where the frustration starts. Right after here, we're moving into the next clip. But right, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. So now that he has been corrected, it, but he, but what we were saying before is correct. He doesn't like giving the podium up to Dr. Fauci. That's right. But this is really where it starts to change, where you can tell his attitude shifts. Because in that moment, he said, now, John, you can't say that, right? You can't say that this drug is effective, right? Yeah. Because... Just, Donald Trump had just said... Right, Donald Trump had just said it, but yeah. he, he was being very artful about how he was making that correction. And it, it has to be frustrating for Dr. Fauci to be up there having to explain randomized control trials to people. No, no, no. Hang on. It must be frustrating for Dr. Fauci to have to explain randomized control trials to fucking Donald Trump, who he knows his eyes gloss over. He's just not fucking getting it. Well, even in Mike Pence is back there. And so Dr. Fauci's trying to explain anecdotal evidence versus randomized controlled to, trials. To, my, to Mike Pence. She's not a Christian. And I mean, you're, you're talking to people who they just they and not even because of his religious beliefs, but just his his views on science. He doesn't value evidence. He doesn't value the scientific... He just doesn't, right? right. Or otherwise, he would have different beliefs. Well, and not a, even his religious listen, beliefs. He would have different beliefs yeah, in science. He's a nutter, butter Christian. It has to do... He's not like a normal Christian who just goes through his life or her life like, yeah, yeah, you know, evolution, fucking right on. He's different. He He's argued that evolution is a quote-unquote theory on the floor of the House of Representatives. So it has to be difficult for Dr. Fauci yeah. to be wrestling with people who talk more about how they feel about things when Dr. Fauci really values the evidence yeah. about things. And he's trying to explain, okay, you can have feelings about things, <laughs> but that doesn't translate into evidence yeah, about Your things. Your feelings don't change anything uh, I mean, other than how you feel. In the famous words of intellectual intellectual Ben Shapiro facts don't care about your feelings you hear that <laughs> so listen just as a matter of understanding the timeline here the next clip we're going to play is directly after what you just heard we're leading right in 
to Peter Alexander's question. About the possible therapies, yesterday, Mr. President, you said that they were for, quote, immediate delivery, immediate. We heard no, from We're ordering, uh, yes, we have uh, uh, millions of units ordered. Uh, Bear is one of the companies, as you know, big company, very big, very mm. uh, great company. Powerful. Uh, millions of units are ordered. And Tremendous. we're going to see what happens. We're going to be uh, talking to the governors about it, and the FDA is working on it right now. Uh, the advantage is that it has been prescribed for a totally different problem, but it has been described for many years, and everybody knows the levels of of uh, the, the negatives and the positives. But I will say that uh, I am a man that comes from a very positive school when it comes to, in particular, one of these drugs. And we'll see how it works out, Peter. I'm not, I'm not saying it will, but I, I think uh, that uh, people may be surprised. By the way, that would be a game changer. But we're going to know very soon. But, but we have ordered millions of units. It's being ordered by, from Bayer. And there is another couple of companies also that, that do it. For clarity, Dr. Fauci said there is no magic drug for coronavirus right now, which you would agree. I guess on this issue, well, then we'll, we'll let me I think we only is disagree a little bit. I'm sorry. I disagree. Uh, maybe and maybe not. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. We have to see. Is We're going to know. That, is, it possible, is it possible that your impulse to put a positive spin on things may be giving Americans a false sense of hope? No, I don't think so. Representing preparedness so. right now. No, I don't think so. I think that, uh, I think it's got, you know, the not yet approved drug. I mean, such a lovely question. Um, look, it may work and it may not work. And I agree with the doctor what he said. May work, may not work. Uh, I feel good about it. That's all it is, just a feeling. I, you know, I'm a smart guy. I feel good about it. And we're going to see. You're going to see soon enough. And we have certainly... Some- I, 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 know, I wanted to but, pause there, too. Can we just talk about how insecure he is? Yeah, well, let's talk about that, but let's also talk about this. Look, I just, I feel, I'm a, sm- I'm a smart guy. I feel good about it. You feel good about it based on what, you fucking dunce. Based on what? Based on the science? Based on the clinical trials, based on the evidence, based on the studies, based on the research, based on the volumes of documents that have been published based on what? Based on what? You fucking mook. Based on what? Well, and that that's what's so upsetting about this is how... Wait, is it upsetting? Yes. How... how... <laughs> How insecure is he and yeah. and how transparently insecure is he that he needs to remind everyone? I'm a smart guy. Douche chill. I, listen, guys, my opinion and my voice is just as valid as all the experts yeah, that are up here standing right. next to me because I have a good feeling, you guys. My I have gut, a good feeling. My gut, my gut. <laughs> and he knows what he is saying is worthless compared to the expertise of Dr. Fauci. He knows that. Yeah. And it's coming through. He can't hide it. He can't hide it, right? This is so fascinating to me because people talk about how he's such a good businessman and, and he's so good and he's so good with people. Yeah. But he's just he's he's, he's not because he's not He's a geese goose. He is a geese goose. He is not able to we, should we explain that? No, we should just not <laughs> explain it. That he's, just Google I'm a geese goose. Yeah, that he he is able to I don't know. He claims he's able to manipulate people. That seems strange when he can't... He manipulated slightly less than half of America. When he can't even hide (laughs) how insecure he is as a human being. 
He's a red-faced freak. Well, he's orange, but he's turning more red in this particular clip. Because after he got contradicted, now it's building. Now it's angry. Now that Peter Alexander has actually pressed him a little bit, now, holy shit, things are coming to a head. Some very big samples of people. If you look at the people, you have a lot of people that are in big trouble. And uh, this is not a drug that obviously... Uh, I think I can speak for a lot of from a lot of experience because it's been out there for over 20 years. So it's not a drug that you have a huge amount of danger with. It's not like a brand new drug that's been just created that may have an unbelievable monumental effect like kill you. Uh, we're going to know very soon. And I can tell you, the FDA is working very hard to get it out right now. In terms of malaria, if you want it, you can have a prescription. You get a prescription. And by the way, and it's very effective. It works. Uh, I have a feeling you may, and, and I'm not being overly optimistic or pes pessimistic. I sure as hell think we ought to give it a try. I mean, there's been some interesting things happened and some good, very good things. Uh, let's see what happens. We have nothing to lose. You know the expression? What the hell do you have to lose? The expression. Okay. So what do you say the Americans were scared, though? I guess nearly 200 dead. 14,000 who are sick, millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's uh, what I say. Geez. I think it's a very nasty question, and I think it's a very bad signal that you're putting out to the American people. The American people are looking for answers, and they're looking for hope. And you're doing sensationalism, and uh, the same with NBC and Comcast. So I don't call it, I don't call it Comcast, I call it Comcast. Let me just have for whom you work. Let me pause for a uh, brief moment of laughter. <laughs> Comcast. Ooh. I don't call it Comcast. I call it Comcast. <laughs> How hilarious. Popeye does not like what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, nothing's that funny, you motherfucker. <laughs> Donald Trump continues for another 20 seconds. Let me just tell you something. That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Let's see if it works. It might and it might not. I happen to feel good about it, but who knows? I've been right a lot. Let's see what happens, John. You so, ought to hear that at the end. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. So all of all of that is horrifying, but it fits perfectly together, right? Him saying, I'm a smart guy. I have a positive feeling about this, right? We need to make the American people feel good. He's trying to do what televangelists do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where yeah, he, fucking yes, he is. Where he's trying to obscure reality. Yeah. Right? He's he's not wanting to provide facts to the people. He's about trying to give them hope, but not in terms of reality, right? The he, great comparison. He's not accepting reality on reality's terms. No, he is not. He's trying to obscure what's really happening here and say, listen, everything's going to be okay. I have a lot of faith in this drug and, oh, the science doesn't support that. That's okay. I'm, I've been right a lot in my life and I have a good feeling about it. Yeah. So that should be pretty convincing to a lot of people. It's just my positivity, okay? And we don't want to talk about how many people have died oh that's really negative we don't want to talk about that don't be sensationalist yeah and it's it's disappointing because he's a leader 
And it's really, it's not negative to talk about deaths. It's just a fact. And you had an opportunity there as the president of the United States to actually instill hope. Yeah, actually, uh, Peter Alexander was asked this question. It, it was interviewed about this moment. And he's like, look, I fucking tossed him up a softball. Right. And he attacked me. I yeah. gave him an opportunity to be presidential. Right. And he fucking freaked out. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. That is not exactly what Peter Alexander said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he should have said. Yeah. Similar. To, it's it's kind of what he said. So remember this moment when you vote in November. Go Trump, baby! Yeah. And that guy. Yes. It's, it's important to remember <laughs> when you're going in to vote. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about the thing we've been talking about for the last two episodes that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it now. It's going to yeah. be talked about. Wow. It's a lot of we're going to talk about, talking about, talking, talking. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> So Richard Burr, senator from North Carolina, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Which is quite the position. A very lofty position of authority, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of trust. Mm-hmm. Two things happened this week. The first is not going to be about his stocks. The first is going to be a report from NPR of this audio that was found, uncovered through tenacious and awesome reporting by NPR of Richard Burr talking to a group of of uh, donors about the coronavirus and the situation therein prior to really any indication, any any information being public. This on its face would be alarming without all of the other things about insider trading. Listen to this if you haven't already heard it. Well, listen to this even if you have. NPR has obtained a secret recording taken three weeks ago. You're going to hear the voice of Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr, Republican in the Senate. You're going to hear him warning a private audience about how the coronavirus would impact the United States. There's one thing that I can tell you about this. It is much more aggressive in its transmission than anything that we have seen in recent history. It's probably more akin to the 1918 pandemic. More akin to the 1918 pandemic is what you heard him say there. This was a stronger message than most Americans were hearing at that time. And Burr's comments raised questions about why an audience at a lunch on Capitol Hill would get what seemed to be a more frank assessment than the general public. NPR's Tim Mack is the one who got his hands on this recording and is with us this morning. Hi, Tim. Hey there. Okay, so who was the senator speaking to in this clip and and, and where'd the tape come from? Well, the luncheon was organized by the Tar Heel Circle, which consists of businesses and organizations from North Carolina, the state that Senator Burr represents. Membership in the Tar Heel Circle costs between $500 and $10,000. Burr was talking candidly about his assessment about about how bad the coronavirus might become in the U.S. And the tape comes from an attendee who became alarmed about Burr's dire warnings, so began to record. Hmm. Oh, so worried and saying this this sounds like very serious stuff. I better start recording this. Um, what, what else? else did the senator say uh, in this meeting? Well, Senator Burr warned well in advance that the coronavirus could be very disruptive. A lot of the things he warned about have actually come to pass, you know, 13 days before the State Department began to warn against travel to Europe and 15 days before the Trump administration banned European travelers from the U.S. Burr warned those in that room to reconsider. Every company should be cognizant of the fact that um, you may have to alter your travel. 
you may have to look at your employees and judge whether the trip they're making to Europe is essential or whether it can be done on video conference. Why risk it? 16 days before North Carolina closed its schools due to the threat of coronavirus, Burr warned it could happen. It is only now, three weeks later, that the public is learning in earnest about how the military may be mobilized to combat the coronavirus. But Burr invoked the prospect when talking about how the country might have to surge its medical capacity. Well, Tim, I want to be really careful about the timing here. So so all of those warnings were Burr's message behind closed doors. What was he saying publicly at, at that same time? Nowhere in press statements or other remarks did Senator Burr provide warnings about how bad he worried the coronavirus crisis would become. I think what's interesting about the story is that Burr was providing a stark assessment about coronavirus to a small audience of constituents, which as an elected official, he never told the general public about. This story raises questions about whether Burr was truly frank with the public about how bad the coming might, the coming weeks might be in his opinion. Uh, remember, his comments at the luncheon contradicted the president's then rosy outlooks. That same day, here's what the president said about the coronavirus. It's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear. Yes. And from our shores, we've, you know, it could get worse before it gets better. It could maybe go away. We'll see what happens. Well, I mean, we've certainly seen President Trump's level of concern change dramatically in, in the last couple of weeks since then. And in terms of Senator Burr, like what, what is his history working on, you know, health issues like this? Well, he has, a, he has a long history. In fact, he's a major author of the legislative framework for how the United States deals with pandemics. But despite his decades of work on, on biohazards and his position as a lawmaker and chairman on the Senate Intelligence Committee, he didn't speak out about his assessment. It's hard to know whether, had he done so, anything would have been different. But according to a public health expert I spoke to, warning the public about the extreme measures that may have been coming down the line could have allowed people more time to prepare. And you reached out to Senator Burr's office for comment on all this? What, what are they saying? Well, Senator Burr's spokesperson stressed that the senator uh, has had a longtime advocacy of public health preparedness and that he has, quote, worked to educate the public about the tools and resources our government has to confront the spread of coronavirus. Burr's spokesperson also said that every American should take the coronavirus threat seriously. Got it. All right, NPR's Tim Mack. Thanks so much for your reporting on this, Tim. Thank you. So, after hearing all of that... By the way, I'm standing now. Standing desk. Don't know that it's necessary to announce it, but it's just, it's a long show. I, I want to talk about how that's shocking, though, because... That I'm standing? No. Or what just happened on the clip? Yeah, those remarks are from <laughs> February 27th. Yes. And I have also heard this comparison, right, that he made to 1918. Yeah. But not from lawmakers yeah and not from someone not who, from republicans not from someone who chose who made a decision not to say that publicly because it would be in direct contravention of donald trump's opinions of donald trump's public statements of donald trump himself that's a fucking problem because richard burr is giving Information to donors that is not available widely to his constituency. More troublingly, more fucking troublingly, is that Richard Burr used information gained in a in a in a classified setting. Given to him only because of his high, powerful position. In the United States Senate. And he dumped about a million and a half dollars worth of stock right before the market 
fucking tanked. Millions of Americans have lost billions and billions and billions of dollars in investments because they had no idea of the knowledge that Richard Burr is privileged enough to have. And it's not just him. Four U.S. senators, including Intelligence Committee Chair Richard Burr, reportedly sold stock before coronavirus fears sent the markets plunging. One congressman is asking the Securities and Exchange Commission to investigate. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill. Nancy, what do we know? Well, Anthony, these stock sales came about a week before the markets started to slide, as the crisis in Asia was coming to a head, and as senators started to get daily briefings here on Capitol Hill about the looming threat. Financial filings show that Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, he's the chair of the powerful Senate Intelligence Committee, sold roughly between $600,000 and $1.7 million worth of stock in mid-February. Those sales came about the same time that Burr had written an op-ed assuring Americans that the U.S. was prepared to deal with a pandemic. But a few days later, he gave a speech warning that the virus could actually have major consequences here. A spokesman for Burr says that the senator disclosed the sales before the market started sliding. Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler also sold hundreds of thousands of dollars in stocks starting in late January. She's from Georgia. It's worth noting she's one of the richest members of the Senate, worth about a half a billion dollars, according to some reports. On Twitter, Loeffler said that her transactions are made by advisors and that she wasn't even aware of them until weeks later. Democrat Dianne Feinstein of California, Republican Jim Inhofe of Oklahoma also sold large amounts around the same time. Now, there is no evidence that any of these senators had any inside information. Coronavirus was well within the public view at that time. In fact, if anything, senators were complaining here on Capitol Hill that they weren't getting enough information about the crisis in the briefings they were receiving here on Capitol Hill. It's all very interesting, Nancy, and I think a lot of people were very upset when they heard this. Um, you mentioned that there could be political ramifications, but are there legal ramifications if, as we, as what appears to have happened, happened, they sold before, what they, they sold while saying one thing publicly and doing another thing privately? Well, there is something called the Stock Act that prohibits members of Congress from profiting off of information that they glean as part of their jobs. But at this point, it would be pretty difficult to prove that they had inside nope. information when coronavirus was something that everyone was talking about. Yeah. All right, Nancy, thank you very much. You said nope. Is that not true? It's not true. That would dip, that, It's not true that it would be difficult to prove. Hmm. Because what what they would do, look up the Chris Collins, the first member of Congress to, to endorse Donald Trump from New York, the first congressman nationally to endorse Donald Trump's candidacy, who happens to be from New York, hmm. more correctly stated. Uh, he j- was just convicted of insider trading. Hmm. Now, listen, they had text messages. They had a lot of information. But if they were to look into this and they were to, to impanel a grand jury, which would be difficult right now because of the pandemic, but... It wouldn't be, oh, it's uh, it's very tough to prove. No, it's not. You look at the pattern of the trades. You look at the particular stock, um, the, 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 the industries 
in which he's trading. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if he's dumping all kinds of stocks that are involved with this particular um, industry, healthcare, whatever, they're in that realm. Also, you're going to look at pattern of trades. Does he always drop $1.6 million worth of stock Allegedly, one point seven two. One point seven two well, million dollars between six hundred and twenty-eight thousand and one point seven two. Right. So you look at the patterns. Is it common for him to drop six hundred grand in stocks in a single fucking day? Just so happened to coincide with a massive market drop in thirty-three separate transactions, and just one week before the stock market right. began its sharp decline. And they would also look at when his briefings were, what he learned in those briefings. That's what the Justice Department is. Now, listen. Do we have any fucking faith that Bill Barr's uh, Justice Department is going to do anything like this? Eh, probably not. Kelly Loeffler, the same thing. James Inhofe, the racist fuck from uh, Oklahoma. And I speak uh, uh, from knowledge. I've heard him tell racist jokes in elevators in the Senate. Or our current senator, Democrat Dianne Feinstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh. and we, we what we do know about Richard Burr, by the way, is that his committee was receiving daily coronavirus briefings around this time, and that's according to a Reuters story. Yes. So, I of mean, of course he was. He's the intelligence chairman. Yeah. So it's 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 tough, right, to look at this and come away with any other understanding, <laughs> other than something nefarious was afoot. That is why what we're saying is not an indictment. It's a question. That's why we need to mount an absolute full-spectrum investigation into his trades, into Kelly Loeffler's trades, into James Inhofe's trades, into Dianne Feinstein's trades. Democrat or Republican, if you are profiting off of your office, your high office, the power that you have, while millions of Americans are losing money hand over fist in the markets... And listen, I said this the other day in a YouTube video. It's not just wildly wealthy people who are in the markets. Lots of middle income, hard working Americans have a 401k who have taken a fucking bath over the course of the last two weeks. And it is unacceptable for Richard Burr and James Inhofe and Kelly Loeffler and Dianne Feinstein to have done what it seems like they did. We'd love to know what you think, though. 657-464-7609. One more time with the less DJ speed. 657-464-7609. Of course, we always encourage you to leave a voice memo emailed from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We are going to wrap the show with this. Taking care of biz. Council member Omari Hardy. Oh, I actually know about this one. He was awesome in an exchange with a member of the Lake Worth Beach, Florida City Council. He was awesome with the mayor of Lake Lake Worth Beach. Yes. And I was going to say, Mayor Pam Triolo. 
Who fucking knows? So this this is a great clip, and I want you to pay careful attention here because when I talk about how we need more Katie Porters, we also need more Amari Hardys. This is a heated exchange between a member of the city council and the city mayor. And the clip is going to open with another guy talking, okay? And you're going to hear that council member Omari Hardy is not given an opportunity to speak. And he gets frustrated because he feels as though they are wrapping up the meeting without giving him an opportunity to voice his concerns. Let me let me jump in here. In in these types of proceedings and public proceedings and city council meetings and congressional proceedings and hearings, they follow what's called Robert's rule of rules of order. So that everybody is on the same page as to what the rules are of when you can insert a parliamentary per- inquiry, when you can uh, call for a vote, when you can call for adjournment. All these things are, are, are ruled by Robert's Rules of Order. So it's not like you can just fucking do whatever you want to do because you have the fucking gavel. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to say here is... And this this matters because this is Florida and this is America in fucking 2020. He's the only black member of the city council. On the dais, it's fucking one black guy and four or five fucking white people who are running this thing. Mm-hmm. Can we do better? There's always things that pop up that we can do better on. Um, and I call the question. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. We each have an opportunity to speak five minutes. That's Amari. I, believe, I thought we did. Yeah, the question's no, been I'm called. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. We've been and that's not how calling the question works. You need a second and you need to vote on it. Then I have a second for uh, calling so the question. So are you telling me that you're going to keep me from talking right now? You've talked all evening. Look, all look evening. here. You're calling me disrespectful because I've interrupted people, but this gentleman has turned off people's lights in the middle of a global health pandemic. And I'm going to pause it there. This is the other element that really does need to be explained is that the the commissioner of energy or whatever, some kind of a public utility representative is there testifying about the fact that during the coronavirus outbreak, Mm -hmm. a public utility is turning people's power off. Right. Imagine right now, if you're sheltering in place, if you are quarantined, Mm -hmm. if you didn't have electricity well and i'll tell you as someone who has had their electricity shut off um it is not a good place to be in if right now if we did not have electricity we have a gas range Mm -hmm. there would be no cooking Mm -hmm. there would be no microwave you meant we don't have a gas range what did i say we have a gas oh we have an electric range right yes we'd be fucked yeah, and actually, this is... We'd be eating cold cans of garbanzo beans. Mm-hmm. Which for, is tasty. For three days, because we only have three cans. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Council Member Hardy, right, he actually called for an emergency meeting to discuss because he wanted to enact a moratorium of utility shutoffs because he doesn't think it's right that in the midst of this pandemic that they are shutting off people's utilities. That's what that gentleman did. Point of order. And you think I'm disrespectful for interrupting you. Point of order. This gentleman has had the ability to do any number of things. We could have banned large gatherings. We could have closed the beach. 
We could have put a moratorium on 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 on, I on utility cutoffs. I recessed. Also, the not within your power, and the attorney the has held that that's true. I recessed the meeting. You came up with new rules at the beginning of the meeting, and then you didn't even want to follow the rules that you came up with. And you took advantage. This is a banana republic, is what you're turning this place into with your so-called leadership. Does a recess mean that we will be? Yes. Camera on that? He's yelling at the mayor about this. I don't care anything about this. Does we should have been talking about this last week. Can we? We cut off people's utilities this week and no. made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that. And you didn't want to meet. But every other year, you go around and beg people for their votes. Can we uh, explain the reason? You care more about your relationship you with that guy than you care about the relationship with the people who don't go to work in this building. You are done. You are done. Can I just interject here? We've got another 36 seconds of the clip, but if you've recessed the meeting with the gavel and you walked out of the room, you don't get to point of order, Madam Mayor. That's most certainly not how the Roberts rules of order work. But it's obvious that the mayor doesn't understand that by virtue of this entire exchange. Disrespectful is what you've done to the working people in the city. I didn't do anything. You failed to act. I didn't do anything. When you're a leader, you failed to act. You said you didn't do anything. You failed to act. Omari when you had an opportunity. Party for state house. I don't care anything about that. Do you think anybody cares? Does a recess mean that we can reconvene tonight? Yes. Or okay. Is that in five minutes or? Uh... It's when the chair comes back. I think that what frustrates me the most about the end of that clip is how it's almost a virtue signaling argument. Where Omari she, Hardy for State House. Right, where she's yeah. telling him that his passion for human beings not suffering is somehow just him trying to advance his career. Yeah. I mean, that's insulting. This clearly is a man <laughs> who fucking cares. Yeah, and people have criticized him for getting angry, right? And in fact, he did apologize for his tone. But I You know really... what he didn't do, though? He said, I, I, I still feel the same way. Yeah, he said he stands by his comments, yeah. but he apologized for his tone. And I, I think his tone is perfectly fine. Me too, I was going to say that. I mean, of course, it resulted in the meeting being like disbanded and they needed to come back but he walked the fuck out of there we'll put this video on the facebook page but it's important that we have people like this who are speaking yes. out because everyone else didn't really care that people's lights are being turned off that people's a, utilities are being turned that's off. that's the more important phrase he used the phrase lights it's not about lights. It's about electricity. It's about cooking. It's about microwave. It's about all of the things that li- that are make us uh, exist in modernity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not fucking Amish. Yeah. We're not churning butter and driving down the street in in horse drawn wagons and carriages. Yeah, we need electricity to function. And and anyway. Yeah. So we love we He's love awesome. him. Take we love him, his. and we hope to see him advance his political career and climb up the ranks and be of service to the people, which it seems like he wants to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to leave you there. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for this extra long, Brittany Page, extra long Mm. episode 
of I Doubt It with Dollamore. Yep. We want to hear from you about all of this, about how you're doing in the midst of this crisis. 657-464-7609. Of course, we encourage you to email a voice memo from your smartphone to I Doubt It at Dollamore.com. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.